Hello. Hey, good morning. Sorry, you know, I should have turned on the pack this morning. Hey, but it's always a good morning to worship with our Southwinds uh, family. Uh, over the last several weeks, we have been in a summer-long series called Failing Forward. And let's be honest, our pastor team picked a perfect guy to come finish the series. <laughs> Can't remember to turn on the pack on Sunday mornings. Uh, but hey, we are excited as we continue going through the series and as we finish up this series this morning, we've talked about some pretty major players in scripture and how their moral, ethical, and physical choices have caused ripple effects through their life, those around us, and even us today. At times, their decisions were based out of fear, pride, lust, self-preservation, and it demonstrated their failures, only for the Lord to transform those failures and utilize them to bring glory to his name. We've learned about how these deemed character failures have been transformed into the strongest warriors that the Bible and history has ever seen and been on display for us. Maybe they're, maybe not, maybe their choices are not for us to model, or at least we should be setting up some safeguards in our lives to help us avoid the failures in their lives. One of the things that my wife Jordan and I love the most in our free time, we love goal planning. We love running to Target, getting one of those like notebooks, getting a pack of pens, going to uh, a coffee shop and just sitting for hours. We could sit in coffee shops for hours and just goal plan, set out an idea of what we want our future to look like, right? It's one of our favorite things to do. Has anybody else done that? Maybe set out a five-year plan or a 10-year plan and said, this is what's gonna happen in my life. Right, it doesn't always happen that way, right? But we could sit there for hours, just dream about life. Sometimes we're realistic and other times we dream about moving into this like multi-million dollar house and like putting our furniture into it and like where everything would go. If you set your mind to whatever goal it is, right? There's a fire within you to want to accomplish it. You don't just set a goal and say, yeah, I wanna do that, but I'm not really gonna do any effort towards it. Right? Maybe you've prayed about it, maybe you haven't. Maybe you've brought God into the consideration, or maybe you haven't. I don't know about you, but when I look at my plans, they're not always centered around God. And that's a failure in me that I have to look past and overcome. Hopefully those goals that you set out in your life are those that will help accomplish what God is wanting to do in and through you. They're God-honoring honored, and God-centered, centered around biblical foundation for our conduct on how to live, what to think, what pitfalls to avoid, and where to invest our time and our resources. One person that we're gonna look at today was not so friendly, who set out goals with full intention of bringing hurt, pain, and suffering to those who followed Christ, like the people sitting in this room this morning. And we see how God can transform someone's life and set them on the course to become the greatest missionary the world has ever seen, from being the persecutor to being persecuted. Acts chapter nine, verse 16, the Lord said to Ananias, I will show Saul how much he should suffer for my name. 
not in the sense of never finding joy or being miserable for his entire life, but learning to live a life with the understanding that Paul outlines in his letter to the, uh, to the church of Philippi. A, church, a life worth living for Christ is a life worth losing for Christ. And that is a main idea that I will continuously say this morning. Living a life centered around the idea that Christ is our sustainer and being able to count everything else in our life as a loss. A life worth living. And Saul would soon see that big idea. To get there, we have to have a little bit of an understanding of who Saul was. I'm gonna put up a player card for Paul. Saul's name was also Paul. It was a custom to have dual names at the time. Acts 13.9 describes that the apostle Saul was also to be called Paul. And from that verse on in scripture, we see Saul referred to as Paul in scripture. Paul's life was cut short by the Romans, being uh, killed in his 60s. At times, he was friendly. At other times, he would write you a letter of deep rebuke. He wrote a great portion of the letters in the Bible. He journeyed across areas and areas and areas, wrote letters to different churches that he had visited and remind them about the teachings of Jesus Christ. He trained evangelists. He trained gospel preachers. He trained people like John, Mark, and Timothy. He endured a total of five years in prison during his lifetime. He was handpicked by God to bring the message of salvation to the Gentiles, the individuals who were not Jewish. He's born into a Jewish family, descendant of the tribe of Benjamin, and was named after the most prominent tribe member, King Saul. Saul had this Roman citizenship that he would utilize for his missionary work later on in his life. And it's a safe bet he never made a three-point shot. Prior to Saul becoming a Christ follower, he was a high-ranking Pharisee, well-educated, brilliant man, ready to educate you on how uneducated you were. He was ready to rebuke you in everything. Saul strived for success, and maybe not the success that you and I see fit. Look at what he says in Galatians 1.13. It says, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church, and I did my best to destroy it. Saul did his best to destroy what Christ's followers were building up. And as we kick off our text in the morning, we are going to be in chapter 7 of Acts. We're going to kick off with verse 58. And it says, They dragged Stephen out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. They stoned him. Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Saul was an eyewitness to the stoning of Stephen. His, Stephen's first speech or his speech made him the first person to be killed for his faith, for proclaiming Christ as Lord. And at the time, there were no heated emails to the pastors. There was no cancel culture on social media. The punishment was death, a brutal Death. Saul approved of this execution. It did not shock him. It did not appall him. If anything, it lit a fire within him to continue this work. As we turn the page from chapter 7, looking at the first couple verses in chapter 8, there's a ripple effect that's happening through the region. Look at it with me. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. 
All except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen, mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and putting them in prison. For those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Because of these actions, Christians all around the area were scattered. They had to find safety. They had to find comfort in a very uncomfortable situation. Saul ravaged. He went house to house, dragging moms and dads, husbands and, uh, husbands and wives, uh, brothers and sisters, grandma and grandpas, sons and daughters, everybody who followed the way. And he was on fire to commit as much pain as he could to those who opposed his ideology. Other religious leaders at the time were totally cool. They were like, hey, we scattered them, we're good, they're fine. But Saul said, no, we must press on. Proactively, he began asking for letters, going to the high priest, asking for approval to go to Damascus and gather anyone and bring them bound back to Jerusalem. In his own personal Testimony in 1 Timothy 1.13, he calls himself a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor towards the church. But when I hear that, I hear that there isn't a soul on earth too far, too violent, too lost, too hurting, too blinded, too closed off, that God won't or can't transform their life and make them into one of the greatest missionaries the world has ever seen. And that person could be in this room right now. It could be in your offices. That person could be in your schools. That person could be in your life right now. Out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Want to talk about failing forward? We're going to talk about Saul this morning. This man was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor towards the church. Saul wasn't on his way to Damascus seeking the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't have a copy of Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby or The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer and his chariot on the way to Damascus. He had letters in his hand ready to bound anyone who followed Christ. Saul was still enraged and ready to show how serious he was. Read it with me as we read chapter 9 for the rest of the morning. Verse one says, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and eager to kill the Lord's followers. He went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogue in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any follower of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. With every waking breath, threats were coming out of his mouth. He was eager and frustrated and anger boiling up all of those feelings and emotions were in him because he thought he was right and was ready to bound anybody, bring them back to prison. Receiving approval to bring those Christ followers back to Jerusalem with a sure imprisonment in their future. Verse three says, he was approaching Damascus on his mission and a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. Saul and his people were on their way to Damascus from Jerusalem. This journey was about 135 miles, which would have took them uh, several days. And as they saw their mission trip 
destination, they see Damascus on the horizon and suddenly something happens that knocks him off his horse, maybe physically, but definitely metaphorically. Verse four says, he fell to the ground, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. And as we jump into our main text in the morning, we are gonna see three different ways to win our lives through Christ while losing our lives at the same time. Gaining a deeper sense of belonging to and with Christ. Our first way to gain Christ while losing your life to Christ is to follow him as Lord. We're gonna see that in this text this morning. Light from heaven shone around him, stunning him. Saul responds with the famous line saying, who are you, Lord? In this context, Lord, he's not addressing God as God. He's saying your honor, right? Like if you were just struck and like this light is all around you, you're gonna be pretty freaked out in that moment, right? You don't care who it is, you're gonna be pretty freaked out. So he's addressing him as your honor like you would address a judge. Saul acknowledges an authority, some recognition and reverence towards Christ, but we'll see more about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord. A question of direct importance was asked, a question revealing an acknowledgement of who God is and how much God was trying to intervene in Saul's life. And remember, it's not enough just to acknowledge him with our lives. We have to place our faith and our trust in him. Even Satan acknowledged who Jesus was in a testing of him in Matthew 4. A direct calling of Saul's sin and a direct target of the correction needed to happen. And Jesus was about to explain that to him. A life worth living for Christ is a life worth losing for Christ. And Saul was about to lose a massive aspect of his life, his whole identity, everything that he had lived up to. He was very smart. He spent years and years training, learning the word, learning everything he could, only, to be that, only for that to be changed in a total moment, leading to an attitude of total repentance. We'll see a massive command about to happen in verse 6. It says, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Rise and go and listen along the way. The journey will happen along the way. Life isn't a sprint race. Uh, I remember in middle school and high school, like I was just always really busy trying to live life as much as I could and always looking for uh, tomorrow, always looking forward to that next chapter when in reality, it's a marathon. I don't know how long I'm promised on this earth, but I know I've got this moment, I should live in this moment right now. Sometimes it's exhausting, sometimes it's relaxing on the beach. Sometimes life is exhausting while you're relaxing on the beach. For us to continue finding Christ on a regular basis, winning while losing our lives, we must start to discern how God speaks to us in our lives. Everyone knows that in relationships, communication is key to keeping any relationship healthy and stable. The same goes with your relationship with Jesus. Your communication with God might be like a phone call that is often dropped. Think about how frustrating that can be. Ever been in the middle of telling a funny joke and the person misses the punchline? And it's like, well, I can't tell the joke anymore. You missed it. Or ever been in a long story on a phone call and it dropped minutes ago only to realize you never had checked? Don't we hate that? It's how... Is that how our communication is with God? 
He's always there listening. He's always there caring, waiting to take our call. And sometimes he's interacting in our lives in ways that we don't understand. Will we hear what he has to say? Because sometimes what he has to say is often difficult to discern. It's hard to understand what he's trying to say. I don't know about you, but when God says to do stuff, sometimes I'm like, how do you want me to do that? Sometimes he says, just go and you'll figure it out on the way. I will reveal that to you along the way. Throughout history, God has demonstrated his desire to communicate with us, with Adam and Eve in the garden, of, in the garden warning, Ad, or warning Noah of the flood to come, calling Abraham to be the father of a great nation and giving Moses the Ten Commandments. God reaches out. But are we ready when and how he communicates with us? Or are we too preoccupied with the goals in our lives? I love goal planning and vision casting, but if I'm not listening to God's voice, I'm failing and not forward. The first way to gain Christ while losing your life to Christ is to follow Jesus as Lord. The second way to gain Christ while losing your life to Christ is to follow his voice. Follow his voice. Like a sheep knows his shepherd's voice or a baby knows the shushing of his mother. We need to be following God's voice. And that happens by spending time with him through prayer, through scripture, reading time with him. Once heard, if you read 15 minutes a day, you'll read through the entire Bible in a year. 15 minutes a day and we'll know exactly what God says in his word. When God speaks, it almost requires a response to us. And in this case, in verse six, Saul is given a clear but vague action. Go and wait for directions. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. God did not reveal Saul his future. He didn't say, hey, you're gonna be jailed a couple times. You're gonna be plotted against. You're gonna become the greatest missionary on the earth, you're gonna write 28% of the New Testament and you're gonna be killed for your faith. I don't know about you, but that probably would have changed how it proceeded. <laughs> if you knew your future, would you stop? Would you dig your heels in and wait? Would you change course or would you boldly continue? I think what God did in that moment with Saul was perfect. If he would have said what his life would be, I don't know if he would have continued. Verse seven says, the men with Saul stood speechless for they heard someone's voice and saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, opened his eyes and he was blind. So his companions led him by hand to Damascus and he remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now I don't know about you, but that is not a fun way to start your journey as a Christ follower. I know that you're new to this whole thing, Saul, but be blind. Right? That is not a fun way to start your journey as a Christ follower. But I think over the next couple days, as Saul was in Damascus, there was a lot of soul searching happening. Verse 10. The Lord says, go and wait for further instructions. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. I know that. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man, named, a man from Tarsus named Saul. He'll be praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in, laying hands on him so he could see again. 
He made himself available to the Lord. He was prompted and ready to go. The Lord called him. He picked himself up. Talk about discernment and eagerness to be a part of what God is doing in his life. The Lord prompted him, him to step out of a comfort zone that he established. That's safety. I don't know about you, but I think I've established a comfort zone of safety in my life. Sometimes I know if something's gonna be hard, something, sometimes things are gonna be difficult, someone's gonna say something, they say, oh, Marco, I don't like your preaching, or Marco, you should've worn better shoes. I'm probably not gonna talk to them on Sunday morning, you know what I mean? Like, there's comfort zones that we set up in our lives. And Ananias said, in a conversation with the Lord that we're about to see, something that maybe some of us would respond with as well. The Lord said, go down to Straight Street, go to the local merchant's house, you'll find Saul there praying. You literally can't miss him, lay your hands on him. Don't fight the guy that came to bring you bound to prison, but pray over him and restore his eyesight to health. It's a clear command, no hidden agendas. The Lord did not hold back from what he needed him to do. We'll see response from him that might come from the mouth of somebody sitting in this room when they're asked to do something uncomfortable. Verse 13, but Lord, proclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to believers in Jerusalem. He is authorized by the leading priest to arrest anyone who calls upon your name. But Lord, he was getting a little feisty with God. He was, he was kind of talking back a little bit. He was ready and fired up. He said, God, why me? Why would you put me in this situation? Don't you know what happened in Jerusalem? Why would you do that to me? Why do you want me to be bound and taken back to prison in Jerusalem? He was putting his heels in the ground because of the discomfort he fell. Anyone else been there? Verse 15 says, but the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles, to the kings, and as well as the people of Israel. Like a surgeon utilizes certain instruments to accomplish the surgery, the Lord would utilize Saul to play a vital role in accomplishing his will for those who came in his path. The Lord gave a very clear command. Just like we've learned, sometimes God says, go and wait, I will give you further instructions. Right here, he's saying, go and this is what I need you to do with very clear instructions. The second way we gain Christ while losing your life is to follow him, to go and wait for directions. But we also sometimes hear from God and he gives us the go and act on clear directions command. A life worth living for Christ is a life worth losing for Christ. A life worth living for Christ is a life worth waiting for directions. A life worth living for Christ is a life worth acting on clear directions. We can learn to listen to God's voice by paying attention to the way he speaks. Go and wait, but be ready and go and act. It's a command to take action. Don't be passive. I think church, a lot of the times we are passive in our Christian life where we might hear God speaking and we're like, you know what? I hear you, but there's like 300 more people in this room. You're probably telling them the same thing. I think when God speaks to you, he's speaking to you directly. And if he wants to speak through you for somebody else, he'll let you know that. 
He gives us that clear command in Matthew 28. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. The command is clear. Jesus comes back, he's resurrected. He meets his disciples on this city, uh, on, on this uh, side of the hill. He's meeting with his disciples. He's meeting with his friends. He's meeting with his boys. He's meeting with them and he gives them this clear command. Hey, just because I'm gone doesn't mean you stop. He says, gentlemen, go make disciples of all nations, of all people, people that don't just work with us, people that we interact with, people that look like us. Go and interact with people all over the place. Baptize them, teach them uh, to uh, obey the commands. Just like a father is trying to teach his sons uh, to share uh, toys, the Lord is helping Ananias learn how to play with others. Just go and Saul has a purpose. You have a purpose. Work together. Verse 16, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Knowing that, would you have been on board with joining God's mission and God's journey? The sacrifice that you'll have to make. Oh, you can't watch that no more. You can't think like that. You can't talk like that. You can't act like that. No more treating others like that. No more repeating sin like that. Not because we have to to secure our salvation, because those things are worth losing for the sake of having a fruitful, engaging, life-honoring relationship with the Lord. A life worth losing for Christ is a life worth living for Christ. Verse 17, Ananias went and found Saul. He laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell off his eyes and he regained his sight. He got up and was baptized. He went, he laid hands, his sight was restored. Scale-like substances fell off his eyes sight was restored. He rose and was baptized. He was quick about it. He didn't wait for a family picture. He didn't wait for perfect uh, Instagram lighting. He went and got baptized. He knew a clear command. Have a relationship with Christ. Publicly share that. We see a sense of teamworking happening right here. Two men who were on opposite sides of the faith lines days ago are working together, becoming reconciled. Verse 19, afterwards, Saul ate some food, regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. Immediately, he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he indeed is the son of God. He proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues later in his life, traveling through parts of Asia, Greece, Rome. He wasn't afraid to travel a little bit. Saul was sharing his personal testimony of how God had transformed his life. He talked about who he was before on that roadside experience and who he was currently. How does that fit in your life? Who were you before you knew Christ? And who are you now? Because those two people shouldn't look the same. I was once a broken individual needing a lot of work. Now I'm still a broken individual who has a loving father to help me in life. I don't know what your story is, but you have one. And I think that's a question we should all be asking ourselves this morning. Who was I before Christ and who am I now? First way to gain Christ while losing your life 
is to follow him as Lord. Second way is to follow his voice with clear commands of going and waiting or going with clear instructions. And our final point for this morning, to follow the multiplication of discipleship. Multiplication of discipleship, a leadership pipeline that Saul has established through his time in ministry, training and building up individuals everywhere he went. We know about him reaching the nations. We know about him proclaiming the gospel everywhere he went. He would travel. He would sit with area leaders. He would teach them about the gospel. He would train them up, encourage them to do the same thing that he was doing, where they could build little house churches in their little cities and find another uh, person to do a house church, and they would have this whole network of house churches in their area. He built them up. He encouraged them. Wouldn't that be exciting if we could replicate that in our lives where we have one church service on Sunday morning, but every single day of the week, we have dozens and dozens of life groups happening in the city of Tracy, Mountain House, and uh, Lathrop. Wouldn't that be amazing where we could invite our friends, you could invite your coworkers, you could invite your kids, uh, friends, parents, to Bible study with you and just learn about God together. Nobody says you have to be a Christian to go to Bible study or to the life group. If you guys want to sit around the pool, do it. If you guys want to talk about how life is going, how God is intervening in your life, do it. I love this because I think we've been measuring church success all wrong. It's not about how many seats we can fill up on Sunday morning, but it's about the discipleship process happening in this church. Do we want to know, do we want to be known as the largest church in Tracy? Or do we want to be known as the church replicating discipleship throughout every single person that we come in contact with? Our success should be measured on ownership of our relationship with Christ and the success and the call of discipleship in and through every single one of us. God didn't say, hey, you came to Christ, now wait for clear instructions. He's given us the clear instructions. He gave it to us in Matthew 28. Go, talk to people about the gospel. Teach them to obey my commands. Baptize them. We're gonna have baptisms all over the next couple weeks or next couple months. If you lead somebody to Christ, you can baptize them. Nobody says that it has to be a pastor. You lead them to Christ, you baptize them. That's pretty cool, right? Talk about the ownership with that. I'm excited because over the last couple of weeks, I've been kind of working on this series um, for this final message for this series, but also kind of working on what our student ministry is going to look like over the next uh, couple months for the 2022-2023 school year, and kind of landed on this word, multiply. I don't know why, I might have heard it in a sermon uh, a couple months ago, but this word multiply has really stuck and dug deep with me. I want to help our students and their families see the need for increasing spiritual development, spiritual discipleship, spiritual involvement, and be more intentional about reaching our friends and our peers. Students need Jesus, not more fun and games. And for too long, I bought into that lie that if I just get fun and exciting games here, the students will come. But to be honest... Entertainment in the world can probably gather them a lot more than I can. Our students need leaders. Our students need moms and dads, brothers and sisters, grandma and grandpas to be their spiritual leaders. 
I made that request from the stage last week and a handful of you came and had that conversation with me. And I would love to say, hey, you know what? We're good, I'm good, I have too many leaders, like don't come no more. But the truth is, is if our goal is to continue reaching Tracy Mountainhouse and Lathrop with the gospel for our students in middle school and high school, we need every single leader we can get. And I would love to meet you at the table in the uh, courtyard right after service and have that conversation with you if you're interested. We're having a meeting this Wednesday to kick off our school year to talk about this word multiply, about how that will look like in our lives as we multiply spiritual discipleship, spiritual involvement, and reaching our friends for Jesus. There's an amazing group of people in this room right now that are already doing that. Some of you guys serve in our student ministry in dozens of ways. Uh, A handful of you drove to student ministry camp for almost three hours with a group of students. That's discipleship. That's amazing. Thank you for doing that. Some of you lead as life group leaders. Some of you guys stand at the door and just say hi to students. Love that. There's another group in this room that's doing that just in a little bit of a different context. The school year is about to start. Maybe it already started. If you are a teacher, a admin, school support, will you just like stand up for me real quick? I would love to honor you and pray for you. I would love our church to honor you and pray for you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. You, no, 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 stay standing. I'm not done. I'm not done. Stay standing. You guys are doing something incredible. You guys are doing something that I can't do. I I went to school to be a teacher, and I didn't like it. (laughs) You guys are doing the work, and it's amazing. I appreciate you. I know our students appreciate you. I would love to pray for you as this new school year kicks off. And if you're sitting around somebody that's standing right now, lay hands on them. If you're not around them, just like spiritually, like grab their shoulder. Um, But this is an incredible opportunity where we can elevate people in our church for doing God's work in our community. I'd love to pray for you guys real quick. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for these individuals. Thank you for their work in our schools. Thank you for how they teach. Thank you for how they admin. Thank you for how they um, support our students our kids from preschool to college. Father, we are so grateful for these individuals. Father, will you provide safety for them this year? Would you provide provision for them this year? Would you allow them to recognize that they are sons and daughters of the King Most High? That they have a purpose in their school, in their context, to love, to cherish, and to live out what you have called them to do. Father, thank you for their lives. Thank you for what they're doing for the next generation of students. Father, we love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for just loving students, loving children, loving preschoolers. Those are things that has to be done. And I don't know about you, but there's definitely a teacher shortage. And we recognize that. I hope your parents recognize that this year um, because it's going to be a difficult year. And I would hope and I'd pray that we could set you guys up for success. Um, And after service, we'd love to see you at the student tent uh, in the courtyard. We've got a special gift from our church to you just as a teacher, um, a admin or a school support staff member. Now, as we continue, verse 21 says, all who heard were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused much devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? Didn't he come here to arrest them and bring them in chains, leading 
to leading in chains to the leading priest. Saul preached more. Sans preach, Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. The Druze in Jeris, Jer, Damascus, ah, sorry, failing forward, guys. Sorry. Man. Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't disprove his proof that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And after a while, some Jews plotted against, or plotted together to kill him. And they were watching for him day and night at the city gate so that they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So at night, during uh, some of the believers lowered him in a, in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. How the tables have turned. The persecutor is now being persecuted. They're trying to get him. They're trying to get him for the very same thing that he had done to other people. Verse 26, Saul arrived in Jerusalem. He tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought to him the apostles and told them how Saul had been brought to the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. And he told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. That's not something Saul did just to gain their, their friendship, only to kill them and bring them to prison after that. Our past cannot affect our future. Not in God's eyes. Not once we're on, our, not once we're on his team, but some people will still utilize our failures. We'll still call them out and still look at them and still look at us the same way. God can change anybody, no matter the circumstances. People with the deepest failures can be brought to restoration in Christ and be reconciled with those whom they've hurt. It's a crazy concept. But the moment we make that heartfelt personal commitment to make Jesus the Lord of our lives, we are justified with Christ. I recently heard of this ministry uh, happening across the United States. It's called God Behind Bars where these churches, these pastors, these volunteers are going into prisons and having church services, doing Bible study, leading in worship, leading uh, these individuals who made poor decisions in their lives and leading them to Christ. This ministry is literally exploding with life transformation. In these circumstances, some of these people may never see the, the walls outside of where they're at when they're making heartfelt commitments to follow Christ, no matter the circumstances. God is using the bad, the failures for his glory to bring these individuals into new light from darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son. I once heard the true testing of a Christian isn't about loving Jesus, but it's about loving Judas. Loving Jesus comes natural, or it should at one point. But loving someone who doesn't control our, our, our eternity is a little more different. It's a little messy. It's hard to overlook things that have happened in the past. Trust me, I'm still learning how to do that. It's difficult. It's messy. But the primary purpose is to recognize that by loving Jesus, I must start to love everybody else no matter their failures, no matter their past, no matter what has happened in their life. The primary, if the primary purpose of the Bible is to speak to us, then many people 
assume that the primary purpose is for us to speak to God. While it's true, prayer is a way for us to communicate with God and to speak to him, it's actually a lot more meaningful than that. When we genuinely pray, we enter into the presence of God. Since God is omnipresent, isn't he everywhere? We're always in his presence, yes and no. While God may be anywhere and everywhere, you may not be engaging with him. Just like if you have a family dinner and you're all on your phones, you may be together, but are you actually in each other's presence? Are you actually living life together? We do that with God sometimes. We recognize he's there, but we don't actually dive in that with him. Three ways to gain Christ while losing your life to Christ is to first, follow Jesus as Lord. Second, follow his voice. Go and wait for clear directions. And sometimes, most of the time, go and act with clear directions. As a Christ follower, it's amazing to follow Jesus. I love it. As a Christ follower, it's amazing to listen to his voice. It's comforting. But we're not meant to stop there. There is a prompting of action the multiplication of discipleship in our lives. A couple years ago, we did a series here at Southwinds called Who's Your One? Who's one person in your life that you are praying for and leading to Christ? If you don't have that one person, I would encourage you to have that one person. Find somebody in your life who does not know Christ and lead them to Christ. Do everything in your power to lead them to Christ. Remember, you are not responsible for saving them. God does that. But you are responsible about teaching God to them. Bring somebody under your wing and start raising them up to know Christ. Who knows? Maybe that person that you bring under your wing is that next Saul to Paul guy who's ready to go share the gospel with the nations who have never known him. That person could be in your job. That person could be in the grocery store. That person could be your next door neighbor and you never know it. That's why it's our responsibility to accept that call of discipleship for other people. It can start here. It can start in your home with your kids. It can start in your families with maybe your mom or your dad who don't know Christ. But a life worth living for Christ is a life worth losing for Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for these individuals that are in this room this morning. Father God, we are so grateful for these opportunities that we could gather in your name, where we could worship your name freely without the fear of persecution, without the struggles. We could let all of those things go just for this hour and a half. Father God, I pray for the individuals in this room that as we leave this campus, we accept the call to follow you, to wait on clear directions, to wait in, in your presence, God. God, I pray that these individuals, as they go to their homes and their schools and their workplaces, uh, Father, allow them to recognize that you're exactly in that moment with them. Father, it's hard to see you sometimes. I've struggled to see you at times in my life. But Father, I know you're there. I know you're watching. I know you're listening. You're waiting for me to pick up the phone and communicate with you. So open your words so you can speak to me. Father, I pray that for our, 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 our church family this morning to pick up the call to call you, to eagerly press those numbers back and forth if we get distracted. Father, allow us to hear from you this morning, this week, 
to follow you, to wait on directions, and to multiply the discipleship happening in our lives. Because Father, it can be life-changing for those we come in contact with. Father, we love you, we thank you, in your name we pray, amen.